again. I've already burned myself once. I'll tell you Friday at breakfast. There we go. Uh, Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. Uh, also, I want to answer the two questions from last week, if you remember. There were two questions asked that I said I would look at and get back. Uh, when we were talking about the incense, we, the question was asked, how does that tie into the Catholic Church and the golden thing they carry that has the smoke? And uh, the Catholic Church does believe it is a reference to Numbers, the seventh chapter, um, where incense was used in the Thanksgiving offering. Uh, it was instigated into Mass in the 11, 12, 1300s. Uh, it was used very sporadically at first as an example from the Jewish temple. Um, but what the Catholic Church teaches is that the purpose of incense and the symbolic value of the smoke is that of purification and sanctification. For example, at the beginning of Mass, the altar and sanctuary area are incensed with, while Psalm 50 is read. Uh, if you look at the uh, actual teaching of the Catholic Church, it teaches this simple thing. The usage of incense adds a sense of solemn, solemn, solemnness and mystery to the Mass. The visual imagery of the smoke and the smell reminds us of the transcendence of Mass while links heaven with earth and allows us to enter into the presence of God. And so while it does represent prayer to them, it is actually even something more. It is part of a ritual that does uh, add that access, which I would disagree with that, but that's a sermon for another day. The second question that we had asked yesterday, last week, was uh, while Jesus will be reigning in the millennial kingdom, will King David reign with him? There are two verses, and you can write these down or you can not worry about it, um, from the Old Testament that make a reference to David. Jeremiah 30 says, Instead, they will serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Ezekiel 37, verse 24. <clears throat> it then again talks about my servant David will be king over them. Those two references have been used for some people to say that David reigns during the millennial kingdom. I disagree with this. I believe that when it references David, it is referencing David in the same sense that it does the son of David, the offspring of David, and that would be, as we know, Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 42, you can write these down for the sake of time, I will not read them all to you. It tells us that they are looking not for David to reign, but the servant of the Lord. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 22, Mark chapter 10, verse 47, it talks about who will reign, and that is the son of David. We know that it is a prototype of David was a picture of who Jesus would be, just like Elijah is a picture of who, who is represented in the new John the Baptist. And so, uh, if you want to write this down, Acts chapter 13, verse 22, we know that the Bible references the Old Testament about how the Son of Man, the Messiah, is a man after God's own heart. If you remember the Old Testament, David is called a... You're going to have to participate here. <laughs> All right? Man after God's own heart. 
In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 12 and 13, the Bible tells us that when he was chosen and the Spirit of God came on him, if you were in the sermon the last two weeks, you know that at Jesus' baptism, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. You guys are on top of this tonight. Thank you. Uh, in Malachi 4, verse 5, Luke 1, verse 17, and Mark, verse 9, uh, 11 through 13, John the Baptist is referred to as Elijah, but he is not Elijah, right? It is that identification back and forth. And so what do we believe about reigning in the millennial kingdom? Glad that you asked. In Daniel 7, verse 27, the Old Testament tells us that David will be one of those who do reign with the Lord. But Revelations 2 and Revelation 20 tells us that all believers will help rule in the millennial kingdom. Revelation 20, 20 verse 4 and Revelation 2 verse 26 and 27. That we will help judge the world in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 says we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6, we will share some authority, not like Christ, but with him. Revelation 3 verse 21, if you remember when we studied that, the believers who conquer, he says, I will grant them to sit on my throne. Now that doesn't mean that you're going to be God, alright? Don't take the Mormon view and make yourself a little God. He is just identifying us with his promises. If you remember in Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27, in that parable, it gives us the idea that the roles that we are given in heaven will be very much dependent upon how we handle the blessings that God gave us here. Luke 19, verses 11 through 27. And so the key is to remember that there is one King of Kings and one Lord of Lords, Revelation 19, verse 16, and that is who? <laughs> All right, we're really on top of this tonight, right? It's Jesus, right? He is the King of kings, Lord of lords. Isaiah 9, verse 6, we quote this at Christmas all of the time. The government will be upon whose shoulders? His. I guess I'm just, I guess I'm just not hearing well tonight, right? You're talking. I just didn't wear my hearing aid. I guess I'll just put it up here. Maybe that'll help. The Old Testament reveals, and I want you to write these down, that the future king during the millennium and all eternity is Jesus and Jesus alone. Jeremiah 23, verse 5. Isaiah 9, verse 7. Isaiah 33, verse 22. Revelation, verse 17, verse 14. And 1 Timothy 6, verse 15. And so while the Bible does make the two references to David, I believe with the authority of the rest of Scripture being looked at, that that is Jesus Christ. That he alone is going to be reigning and ruling for eternity. Uh, questions, disagreements, thoughts. Like I said, the other view is quite popular, uh, but I think it is not faithful to all of the scripture um, that goes into it as well. So, I know that's a lot of scripture, but you don't want me to read all those for the sake of time. So, But if you would like that list, I can give that to you at any time. No other questions? Super. 
All right, Revelation chapter 6. If you remember last week as we looked at chapter 5, we began to see the Lamb took the scroll. And uh, he's going to be breaking the seals um, as God begins to reclaim everything that has went um, wrong. And uh, if you look on the back of your notes, there are two pages front, back, and one more. That's a place for notes, and the answers are on the back. And uh, uh, so if you don't catch them, there you go. Uh, in verses 1 and 2 of Revelation chapter 6, we're going to read these and we'll pray. We see a false peace, a false peace. Now I saw the Lamb open one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see, and look, behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. I want to spend a little bit of time here tonight because this is where it's going to matter what you believe. I believe that the rapture happens before the tribulation period. And so when this begins to happen, the Christians, God's people, the church, have been taken to heaven. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You can read both books and read it for yourself. And because the Bible tells us that the one who restrains sin, which is the Holy Spirit, will be taken away, then the lawless one has the freedom to work. All right? I believe that is how these things begin to unfold. Because even in our country, as screwed up as it is, as wicked as it has become, many of the states that have overwhelming majority of Christians living in it do not govern and view the world the same way as the liberal pukes in our state, right? If you go to Texas or you go to here, they are run exactly the same, right? No. If you go to Florida and California, they are run the same. No, because there are an influence of conservative and liberal people in both states. So what we see from the world around us is that God's people can have an influence. Sometimes it feels very little in a state like ours, but it's possible. And so just think of what little morality is left that we fight for. Imagine if all Christians were gone in the sanctity of human life. Imagine if all Christians were gone in the biblical definition of marriage. Imagine what would happen if there were no Christians talking about which bathroom you should use. All right, just imagine how quickly things would go. And in verses 1 and 2, we see here an individual who comes on a white horse. Some people have equated this with Christ, but I disagree with that. I believe this is a false peace. This is a ruler who is going to raise up in the wake of millions, if not hundreds of millions of Christians vanishing. All right, you're going to have hundreds of thousands of law enforcement, hundreds of thousands of military units. Look up here. Islam is not going to have millions of their soldiers raptured out Okay, so who is going to be the nation with the holes in it? Who are the people who are going to be standing in the gas that are gone? All right, so just imagine the chaos, the disunity, and this individual in the first seal is sent. 
Now, I want to point out this to you because I want to show you why I think this is not Christ, but a forerunner or, if possible, even the Antichrist. The bow is a long-standing weapon of military conquest. First Chronicles chapter 5, verse 18 says, The sons of Reuben, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh had 44,760 valiant men, men able to bear shield and sword, to shoot with the bow, and skillful in war, who went to war. If you remember, before Adolf Hitler turned Nazi Germany into the evil empire that it was, someone voted him what? Man of the year. He came with a false peace. He came with prosperity. He came with the hope of the future, but yet he was wicked. And I believe that is what this ruler is going to do. I can give you world peace. I believe that world peace will also involve a religious melting, right? Where interfaith, where Jew and Muslim will have to worship together. In Psalms 18, verse 34, though, in regards to this individual, he takes my hands to make war so that my armies can bend a bow of bronze. So we saw this individual will be a military leader. We also see an example of this in Zechariah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Then I turned and raised my eyes and looked, and behold, four chariots were coming from between two mountains. And the mountains were mountains of bronze. With the first chariot were red horses, and the second chariot black horses, and the third chariot white horses, and with the fourth chariot dappled horses with strong steeds. And so we see this picture of the horse, of the bow, of the military conquest, and this promise of peace. But don't miss this. Isaiah 48, verse 22. There is no peace, says the Lord, for who? For the wicked. And so while this false peace will be promised, while this false peace will be encouraged, and the world out of the trauma that it has just experienced will be looking for a leader. But if you would, I want you to flip over to Matthew 24 tonight. Because I want to show you that John follows the same pattern that Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew chapter 24, the disciples, as you see, now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and I will deceive you. So we see that this religious leader, this military leader, is going to promise the things that God offers us, but yet they are not the real thing. And so the world will take this, they will embrace this, and yet this is the first seal of judgment that God gives. Questions before we... All right, the second seal. Like I said, you'll have to speak up, no hearing aid. In verse 3, we see peace 
being taken away. Starting in verse 3, when he opened the second seal, I heard the seven, second living creature say, come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. So this time of great peace will then be followed by a time of great violence, great anger, great murder. And if you look here in Matthew chapter 24, because that's my main focus tonight, is show you that the teaching is consistent. In Matthew chapter 24, after Jesus has told them that there will be many who will come, it says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. So God sends this false peace. God then allows this individual to come to take that false peace and turn it into violence, murder, war, and destruction. And so each one of these seals, as they are unleashed, it is God's unfolding plan. Okay? What throws a lot of people off is when we get after the sixth seal, then in chapter seven, you begin to read of uh, the seal of Israel. Uh, you begin to read of uh, all of that. And then in chapter eight is the seventh seal. And so what we'll try to do is look at the timeline as we go through this, because then you see the eighth seal and we begin to see the trumpets. And so what happens is as the book of Revelation transpires we see things begin to pick up all right so when you get to the, the seventh seal it is really beginning to move quicker things are moving closer and closer to the end but that's not all of them. that's the second seal the third seal which is lifted in verses five and six says we see a great famine a great famine starts when he opened the third seal i heard the third living creature say come and see so i looked and behold a black horse and he who sat on it had a pale pair of scales in his hand and i heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine now this is important because I want you to notice something that happened in the first one, in verse one, in the second one, in verse three, in the third one, verse five, the same statement, come and see, come and see. There are a lot of different opinions on this, but I think the one that is faithful to the scripture is once again, for us, the reader, to know that what John has saw is not made up. It's not John's intervention. It's not John's invention. This is what God is going to do. And he wants John to see it, to know it, and to communicate it. Why? That we might understand. That we might know. That we know that God has everything under control. Now, if you look back in Matthew, again, verse 24, the second part 
of that after Jesus just says about the false Christs, about the wars, that there will be famines, pestilence. So Jesus's timeline is lining up with John's timeline. He is wanting us to know how this will unfold. If you're reading that there and you look at the specific um, references to a denarius and to the three quarts of barley, um, what my Bible says is this. The apparent description of famine conditions here would naturally follow the state of war portrayed in verses two and four. If you know anything about the conflict in Ukraine, Ukraine is called the breadbasket, right? Uh, the amount of wheat, the amount of uh, crops that are grown there is substantial. If you know anything about what is going on there, Russia has specifically allowed them at different times to ship those things through their blockade under the uh, oversight of different militaries. Because why? The impact that that food has. But a quart of wheat or barley would have been at this time most likely enough food for a person for one day. And a denarian or denarian was a day's wage for the average worker. So a day wage, a day's wage, and all you can buy is food. We're not talking rent, we're not talking utilities, we're not talking gas, we're not, a day's wage for enough food to stay alive. That is the condition that it says is going to come. And Jesus says the same thing. Other questions? That's for one person. One person. So if you've got a family. Yeah. I would all work all week for one, one meal a person. Yeah. For the whole week. So on the uh, Matt. Matthew 24 there, uh, I might just be overthinking it here, but when he's talking, because he's talking to the disciples mm -hmm. when he's talking that. So if he's if he's telling them, if he's saying, let no one deceive you, um, saying you a lot, like talking specifically to them, if the, if the rapture would be before mm -hmm. all of this, what's, uh, why is he saying you? Yeah. So there are two theories. So if you believe the rapture happens before, you still have to believe that there are going to be based people saved in the tribulation period. The Jewish evangelist, the, uh, as you can read in chapter eight. If you believe in a mid-tribulation point of the rapture where you go through the first three and a half years, then he is talking to the church as well. So either one of those can be applied depending on if it is believers that are saved after the rapture in that seven year period, or if it is the church that stays through the first three and a half years. Which, when you look at it, doesn't help either way. <laughs> so it's just giving you the timeline to what is going to go on. Because what other people will say, well, how is that accurate at all? Because all of these individuals are dead, right? So it couldn't have just been about what's going on. But yet there are things in chapter 24 that they would have said that they have seen some of them uh, when you go on later on in that chapter. So you have to look at that, but then that's why I think you flip back to what we see in Revelation 
about what's happening. Now, for me, when I read in chapters 4 and 5 with the 24 elders and the worshiping around the throne and all those kind of things, that's where you get into, is that the church? Is that the Old Testament? You know, who is that? And that's going to depend on, on what your views of that is. But the timeline itself is exactly the same. The seven-year period, and we're going to look at that here in just a minute uh, from Daniel and how that fits into the 70th week and all of those things. marching right along. In verses 7 and 8, it goes on. We see death and destruction in every way. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beast of the earth. If you flip back to Matthew 24, after it talks about famines and pestilence and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of sorrows. And this idea of earthquakes would be a great cataclysmic cause of death. Right? We're not talking about a small rattle in your windows, but we're talking mass, death, chaos, suffering. And when we look here in Revelation 6, and if you look at there, um, there's a lot of different uh, disagreements on what's the reference to death and to Hades. Um, but I want you to see something that I think is interesting here. It says, and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth, okay? Now, some people will say, well, a fourth of the earth's population is going to die. Well, that is some interpretations. Others believe that they are giving freedom over a fourth of the earth to do what they want. So will everyone die? Possibly in that. Some believe that it's worldwide. And so there's some disagreements over exactly how that unfolds, but what we see is death and destruction on a global scale, right? Uh, if at that time, I don't know how long it'll be, if there's 10 million people, one fourth of the earth, you know, is it, is it, is it population? Is it land mass? I believe it's population just because we're talking about death and death affects people, others do not. So um, they can, you know, whatever makes you happy. So, um, but we just see this continually unfolding of what's going on. And so, and um, I would just call into your attention there that this is kind of where um, that three and a half year period of the first part of the tribulation uh, is this is going on. Chapter five is kind of the turning point, really. And uh, we're gonna look at that when we look here in a second back into the book of Daniel. Um, so a really, I think, a conservative uh, approach is that this is somewhere in the middle of that seven-year period. Others would say, no, this is all a birth pain. It's not the start of the seven-year period. Um, but I, I think it is... It is so just, would you look at Hades as being the grave, or is that... Uh, I think it's it's going to be in regards to death and the idea of death in that sense. Yes, not so much of, of the of an eternal punishment, yes. 
this fifth seal, and this one's a little different because we don't see um, the death and destruction, but it's a response of the cries of the martyrs. And so if you look there in the fifth seal, uh, verse 9 through 11, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar of the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. And so you see here that there are a couple different thoughts. These could be uh, the entire uh, reference to those who have been killed for their Christian faith. It could be those who have been killed in the first three and a half year period of the tribulation. Um, and so there's a lot of different people. But the key to this is what is going on here. God is hearing the crying of their voice. And what that is a reference to is their petitions. Their petitions for God avenge us. God uh, deal with the wrong. God make right all those who have persecuted. And Jesus teaches us the same thing in Matthew 24 as he's working through this timeline. In verse 9 it says, right after we've looked at the four first, in verse 9 it says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation persecution and kill you and you will be hated by all nations for my sake and then many will be offended will betray one another and will hate one another then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many and because lawlessness will abound the love of many will grow cold but he who endures to the end shall be saved and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. And so we're following the same pattern. Now in Daniel 9, that's what I wanted to take you to. Daniel 9, we see this uh, unfolding of this time period. And in Daniel chapter 9, it says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression. <clears throat> To make an end of sins. To make, I can find my notes here. Fingers aren't working. Reconciliation for iniquity. To bring in everlasting righteousness. To seal up vision and prophecy. And to anoint the most holy. Now therefore, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince there shall be seventy or seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublesome times. And the sixty-two weeks Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war of desolations are determined. Now, verse 27. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. 
But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. And so uh, we see here this last week, right? Uh, this last week, most commentators view as a reference to the tribulation period. The Antichrist, the uh, religious leaders of the day made this covenant, but yet at the three and a half year point, uh, break this covenant. They go from allowing the Jews to be back in Jerusalem, allowing the Jews to have the temple rebuilt, allowing the Jews to practice their uh, religious beliefs, will then turn on them. Now, if you want verses for that, there are a lot of them, all right? Um, Daniel 9, uh, verses 24 through 27. Uh, we see in Matthew 24, verse 15, we reference, there's a reference to the abomination that causes desolation. In Revelation 13, it's called the beast. Um, Revelation 13, verse 5, says that it will go on for 42 months, which is three and a half years. And in Revelation 13, verse 5 says the beast will do this for a period of 42 months. And in Daniel 7, verse 25, where the Bible says time, times, and time and a half is one year, two years, and a half for a total of three and a half years. And so uh, if you want to look, though, in Revelation 11, like I said, just write all these down. We're not going to look at them for the sake of time. Uh, verses 2 and 3 which speaks of 1,262 days, 42 months. Uh, Daniel 12, verses 11 and 12, speaks of 1,290 days and 1,335 days. And so um, Matthew 25 talks about that there is an end for the judgment of nations, a time for Christ to set up the millennial kingdom in Revelation 20. And so there are a ton of different verses that talk about the time, uh, the period, uh, the halfway point. And uh, if you were familiar with Jeremiah 30, which I know what you're saying, I memorized the whole Bible. Liar. Uh, it talks about the time of Jacob's trouble in Jeremiah 30, verse 7. It says this, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. So most Bible commentators look at that as that seven-year period where God is dealing with the Jewish people. You can read about that in verses 30, chapter 30 of Jeremiah, verses 3 and 4, talking about one of these days. He is going to bring them back to the promised land. Uh, Jeremiah 30, though it's going to be an awful time period. Um, and in Jeremiah 30, verses 10 and 11, that there is a time of blessing that will come after that. And so I think this is important. And this is where I'll stop rambling and, and, and let you ask questions or we'll move forward. The birth pains that we see can really be looked at all the way from Revelation 6 through 12. But what is the purpose of the time of Jacob's trouble? If you read that, it is to bring Israel back to the Lord. The Jewish person must be saved the same way that the Gentile person must be. There is no two ways to go to heaven. 
There's not a Jewish way and a Gentile way. But what you view about the Jewish nation and people will affect what you believe about going forward. I told you I have a family member who believes all of the Jewish Old Testament prophets uh, promises are fulfilled in the church, right? And there are others who believe that there are many promises fulfilled by the New Testament church, but many of the promises still apply to saved Jewish people in the millennial kingdom. Whichever view you hold is going to affect how you view this, all right? I view it as God still has promises for the Jewish people. And so the tribulation period is a time for God to bring the Jewish nation back to a saving faith through him. That he will be their God, their king, they will worship him in spirit and in truth. If you want references to that, you can read that in Jeremiah 30, verse 22, Hosea, verse 6, 1 and 2, and Zechariah chapter 12, verses 10. When we look about this day of the Lord, there are some people who will say, well, is it one day or is it a period of time? If you look in Joel chapter 2, if you look in Isaiah chapter 11, you see that this is going to be poured out over a season of time. Uh, most likely the three and a half years of the second part of the tribulation and then takes us into the millennial reign. And so the seven year period, no matter what your view of the rapture is, it's a seven year period where the Lord pours out this judgment, right? And at some point, the halfway point, things go from false peace to an answer through who this person is, through a covenant with the Jewish people, to now it's not, right? Now it's full on persecution, full on judgment, and you will see those in the bowls and in the trumpets. Questions, discussions, I know that was a lot of verses, and I can give those to you at any time down the road. This fifth seal here, uh, what event is tied to the fifth seal? Because I really don't see an event here. So most, there is this. Did he just not tell us about the event? Was he not no. looking at that event? I believe that when the seal is opened, it is him listening and seeing what has gone on to his people. There is no action associated with this other than he is listening to his people. So, which is encouraging, I think, because we've seen death, destruction, famine, false peace, and it's easy to say, well, where is God in all of this? But right here in the middle of this, we see, though, that he has numbered them, that he has everything under control, and he is taking notice of it. So, yes, there is no judgment. So some people, like myself, would say when the church is raptured, you get a glorified body. That's what it says. And what they have got, those who have killed in the tribulation, do not have a glorified body yet. They will get a glorified body when the Lord sets up the millennial kingdom. But that is also one reason because there are going to be saved people when the Lord returns to destroy his enemies. I believe that you're not going to see people stop being saved in the three and a half year period. And so that is why some would say they are being rewarded now 
Others would say, well, this is all of the saved people receiving a reward for the persecution and suffering that they went through. Uh, like I said, I hold to a, these are the individuals that have been killed in that three and a half year period, and they are being rewarded for coming to Christ and enduring, like it says there, until the end. So, but, but yes, there is no judgment involved with the sixth seal, or the fifth seal, excuse me. The sixth seal is yes. <laughs> it's like it's turned into overdrive. Because what we see here is as bad as it all has seemed in the first three and a half years, it is nothing compared to the sixth seal. The sixth seal, what we see here uh, is, and I don't have time to notes because I don't remember what the answers are without them either. All right? Poured out. <clears throat> all right. Where are we at again? Yeah, 12. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell out of the earth, as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men and commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of wrath has come and who is able to stand? If you flip back over to Matthew chapter 25 for the last time, and if you have your notes there in front of you, since there are mine. But before you do that, I want you to see in Luke chapter 21. And there will be signs in the sun and the moon and in the stars and on the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Some people like to say, well, this is going to be a time of great repentance. But what we see here from Luke's gospel and from the writing is this is not a, a turning to God in repentance. It's just a time of fear. There is a difference being afraid of something and turning to the Lord. What we see here is, in verse 26 of Luke's gospel, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. And so this great judgment begins to unfold. And the details of that judgment are given there, but we're going to see in chapter 7, right, the seal of Israel. Because when you flip over to Revelation chapter 8 in your Bible with me, in verse 1, it says, when he opened the seventh seal, right? So this sixth seal is a period of time. Uh, this is going to be going on. It's not just one day. And so the second three and a half year period of the tribulation period, which we're going to look at as we see the locusts from the bottomless pit, uh, the heavens will be struck, the water struck, the sea struck, the vegetation struck. Uh, we'll go on and talk about John in the little book, the two witnesses 
This is all going to be unfolding in that second half of the tribulation period. Some people think, well, the earth completely falls apart. It does, but then the Lord is continually doing these judgments on a wicked and perverse world. And so that will take us, you know, all the way uh, up to, I think it's chapter uh, 19, uh, because in chapter 15, we begin to see the bowl judgments, right? The sores and the sea turned to blood and uh, men are scourged and darkness and pain and the Euphrates drives up and the earth is utterly shaken, right? So this three and a half year period that is the second half is unbelievably worse than the first three and a half years. I mean, I thought, how can it get any worse? But when you read through it, 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 is, it is this heartbreaking situation. But look at verse chapter 18. Babylon, the great false, this identity of this world empire, this false religion, everything that lost people were putting their hope in falls. And the world, what? Mourns. They mourn. Because they're beginning to understand that they are defeated. Chapter 19, we know that Christ on the white horse, the beast, and his armies are defeated. And then we see in chapter 20 that Satan is bound. Okay? And so remember this, that as we see these chapters unfolding, these are the events that are going on in this time period. And I think that's what gets a lot of people confused is as we go through the book of Revelation, we have to understand that the sixth seal is describing this time of judgment. The seventh seal is then describing these judgments that are coming. And so it's unfolding as it goes. Some of this is what we see on earth. We will see uh, in chapter 19, uh, heaven is being exalted over Babylon. So you're going to see the spiritual side of this battle. Um, and so it, it's just a slow timeline to follow and not to get confused, right? To, to really focus in on the seven-year period, what God is doing, how God is dealing with his enemies, and what's the focus, right? The focus is God bringing the Jewish people to himself. Now, this is where you read that and say, there's a lot of death, destruction, pain, heartache, and suffering and you're telling me that the Jewish people are going to come to him. Well, yes, because what we see is the seal of Israel in chapter 7. We see that there are going to be two witnesses that are killed, the Bible says, but yet be brought back to life. There's even a part where an angel is flying through the sky declaring the gospel of who the Lord Jesus is. So even though there is going to be great death and heartache and pain and suffering and judgment, there is going to be great salvation. And you read that and you look and you think, boy, couldn't have this been accomplished much easier? Have you read the Old Testament? The Bible says that God does not play pleasure in the death of the wicked. And so while we look at this as a book of judgment, of correction, a book of heartache, it's really God redeeming the Jewish people back to himself. Now, for those that are not Jewish, those that are not going to believe, it's terrible. But for those who are being saved, it's the power of the gospel. And it's no different from the same message that we have. That if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
you will be saved. Heaven will be your eternal home. But if you reject Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, you will spend eternity away from him. Friends, what this judgment on earth looks like is still not as bad as what the lake of fire is going to be like. You know how I know that? Because if this was as bad as it would get, the Lord wouldn't take the Antichrist, the beast, and throw them in where? The lake of fire. So don't listen when people say, what's well, hell on earth? It doesn't get any worse. No, I don't care what you suffer through. It is nothing like what the second death is going to be like. And so we should remind ourselves of that. The Lord is at work. The Lord is redeeming. The Lord is correcting. The Lord is working. That's why the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Don't put off today. And so there's a lot there. The first six seals are, are really kind of straightforward. There's not a lot of, of disagreement to them. The, the issue is always the disagreement of who's here, who's going through them, who's not here, who's not going through them. But the seals themselves, the judgments themselves, are, are really straightforward. The Lord talked about them in Matthew. Luke wrote about them in Luke. Um, and so it's just a time of correction, a time of judgment, Never forget, because some people say, well, God's cruel and God's mean and God's vindictive, but never forget what he says. Never forget what he says about the wicked, about taking pleasure in the death of the wicked in Ezekiel 33, Ezekiel 18. Uh, he is long-suffering. Um, so always be reminded of that, that the Lord has given and given and given and given. But what he said there in verse 6, who would be killed as they were were completed, now God says it's time. So, questions, thoughts? Um, like I said, we're still not into all the really juicy stuff yet, but we're going as fast as I can go.